celebrating our Father. I'm all about celebrating our Lord. If we don't come to church to celebrate him, then what we're coming to church for? What I'm trying to simply say is this. This is the Lord's house. This is the Lord's day, and it's made to worship him. When Christ, one of the only times Christ came to the temple and he saw what they were doing in it, what did he say? He said, ain't my house the house of prayer? And then when I think about it, he also comes to consolation thinking that his house is also a house of worship. And if we're coming in here, and if we're holding back each other from worshiping the one true God and Father, then what are we doing here to begin with? I don't know about you guys, but I come to church to see a move of God. I come to these places to see God move in ways that he's never moved before. I don't just go to a church one back forth just to celebrate the same way I do at home. No, I come here for a different feeling. Because when you get together with like-minded individuals... And let me tell you this. I love you guys. When you get together with family, because you guys are now, you guys are my brothers and sisters of God. When you get together with family, things start happening in the atmosphere. I love it how you started up service. You said, we need to give notion to the Holy Spirit this morning. And it is the Holy Spirit that binds us together. Amen. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, we'll be like any other religion that's wandering in this world trying to find what the real truth is. But we have the real truth in our heart this morning. Amen. It is because the Holy Ghost is with us that we have confirmation that he's real. It is because of the Holy Spirit that's with us that we have confirmation that he's with us at this very moment. I am thankful that he has given us the ability and the way to know that he has never left us nor forsake us. Amen. In fact, he told the disciples when they were worried about his departure that don't fret and don't worry because I'm going to send you a comforter. And I'm glad that even in the midst of a storm, even in bad times, I have a comforter with me that's going to tell me everything is all Right. Is everything all right with you this morning? Is everything okay with you this morning? I know a lot of people may not know me, and truth and reality, 
don't have to know me. All I care about is if you know Christ this morning. But if you know, if you want to know a little bit about me, my name is Nathan Ward. I am a nobody from an amazing church called Graceful Gospel Baptist Church. We have an incredible pastor, incredible worship team. We have an incredible church. And more than that, what I love the most about our church is that we're not afraid to outspan to other churches to grow who we are. Amen. Because the church of God isn't a destination of an address. It is a people. And I'm glad and thankful that God has designed it that way, that the church is not just for walls. It is whenever his children come together. So you can come together inside of a creek and have church. You can come together in a restaurant and have church. You can get together in a vehicle sharing the gospel of one another and have church inside that vehicle. And that's kind of what I want to get to this morning is I'm thankful that I'm still with my church this morning. I may not be in Ashley Lane this morning, but I'm thankful I'm still with my church this morning. And, you know, I, I, I am honored to have the ability to be able to come this morning to share the gospel. I did text your pastor last night out of respect for this house because I don't know how the operation happens here. And I believe that whenever a preacher goes somewhere else to minister, that they should respect the house they go to. That's just how I feel. I don't believe in going in there thinking that you're going to shake things up. No, you go in there and you respect the house of the Lord. You respect the pastor. And you definitely should respect the people that's inside that church. Any type of minister in this church, I think it's wise to understand that you're not going there to rule. You're going there to serve. Amen? And that's what we're called to be as servants, right? And I, and I pray that the Lord will use me in a way to serve you guys. I'm not a good preacher. I'm just one that's willing to serve the Lord and what he's given me to serve. So if, you, if you're going to stay with me for about two more hours, I'm going to bring you guys a word. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Just an hour. If you was with us in VBS, I've kinda, I, I kinda, you guys got a kind of a glimpse of how I teach uh, I try to teach differently than how I preach because I think there is a vital difference between the two. Yeah. One of them, you dig into the word. The other one, you express the word. And I believe the fact of the difference is because the scripture tells us that there is many gifts, there's many callings, and he separated both teaching from preaching. Yeah. The reason why is because I believe teaching helps lift you up in the word of God, yeah, but I believe, right. I believe preaching helps extort you, helps yeah. grow you, it helps yeah. strengthen you. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't know about yeah. you, but yeah, I, I, want, I want to learn some more things of the scriptures, but if I can't can't get excited for what I read, if I can't be moved by what I read, if I can't be moved to the place where I need to be, how can I ever receive it? So hopefully this morning, I'm going to do my due diligence to serve the way I need to serve. But I also want to give a little bit of time and reference to the backsliders in the back of my family this morning. I'm so thankful for them showing up this morning. We need to pray for salvation, church. Uh, I also, I apologize for being late this morning. It is, my, it is my fault we're late. It takes me about three hours and five minutes to get ready every morning. All this makeup I have to put on. I got to get my hair done. I got to make sure my clothes looks good. It takes me a while to get ready. But I'm just, I'm honored. I'm privileged. I, uh, for many different places I visited, there's always one thing I try to always make sure we do, and that's the simple fact that we need to always follow the Spirit of God. Yes, Anytime I'm preaching, yes. you are not going to you are not going to offend me at all. If you need to come here, or if you need to go hug somebody, or if you need to confess, if you need to testify, if you need to praise, if you need to, I believe there should be just as much worship in the preaching as there in the actual singing. Amen. So at any time, if I'll pray that you be obedient to the Spirit of God. You're not going to offend me. I'll step to the side if you want to come over here. More than that, I'll pray with you if you come over. You're never going to interrupt the Spirit of God if you're listening to the Spirit of God. Amen. This is simple truth to that. So I just pray that you, that you just feel out liberty in the house this morning because you're not going to hurt my feelings. Brother, I appreciate you calling me a young man, even though some people may get confused. Let me help you. I... Look 40, I sound 15, but I'm actually 28, praise God. So if you don't remember anything about me, remember the fact that I look weird, and I sound weird too, amen? Turn to me to Joshua chapter number one. That was supposed to be an icebreaker. It's okay to laugh in the house of God. If you're there, say amen. Yeah, he got us up there. If you do me a favor, stand for the reading of the word. 
I may be young, but I still follow the, the teachings of the generations before me. And they teach us to respect the word of God and to stand for it. Amen. And that should never change. You'll stand for the national anthem. You should stand for the word of God as well. Book of Joshua, chapter 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, rise, go over this Jordan, you and all his people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, unto the great sea, the great sea toward the going down the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. I'm only saying you just to make it easier for me to speak. Be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swore unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Turn not from it to the right or to the left, that you may prosper whatsoever you goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of the mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Thou shalt make ah, thou say mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make your way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you goest. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray that you come visit us this morning, God. I pray that you inhabit this house this morning, that you flow in a mighty river this morning. God, I pray if there's someone in this house who needs to move, God, let their hearts be open to receive the message that is coming this morning, God. God, I pray, Father, that you just eliminate any obstacle that's blocking people from moving in your name, God. God, I praise your name for the word, that it gives strength to our bones. It gives liberty to our hearts, God. It gives us the acknowledgement to overcome any obstacle that comes our way, God. God, I praise you for the word, Father. I praise you for what you've given us and what you've done for us. For you've given us a way, Father, to make ourselves go from a place of bondage to a place of promise, God. And I thank you, God, that we are living now in the opportune time to live in the promise that you've given us to be able to proclaim the goodness of the Lord to all the earth, God. And we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. The church said... Amen. I'm going to give a little bit of context as I dig into this. The message that he gave me to be able to preach to you guys this morning is a simple idea. And that it is to go from bondage to promise. Now, anybody in this church, can you help me testify the fact that he saved you from a bondage of sin? Come on, somebody. Because we are as God's people. We've already experienced what it's like to go from a place of bondage to a place of promise. I don't know about you guys, but if it wasn't for the Lord moving in my life, I would not be where I am today. So I'm thankful that the Lord moved upon me to take me from a place of bondage into the place of promise that I'm at today. So hopefully as I dig into this word, you're going to start seeing the idea that one time you was dead in your sins, but now you're alive in the grace of salvation. Amen? Because here's the truth of the matter. They may think they're free. They may think they can do whatever they want to. At one time, I thought the same way. At one time, I don't know if you, I don't know what ages you were saved from, but if you live in a world of sin long enough, you think that you live freely, but in reality, you're living a destructive life that is destroying yourself and everybody else around you. So the reason why Christ said that he is the life is because everything else produces death. And if you produce death, that means you're putting yourself in the bondage of the grave. And let me tell you something. We have overcame the grave this morning. The Bible says we have victory over death, hell, and the grave. Can you get an amen in this church? So what I'm trying to get to you is simply this. We are reading in context the physical motion of them leaving the bondage of Egypt, stepping into the promised land, which is called Canaan. But even to this day's time, we still see people today that still live in a bonded state. 
And we have the ability to give them the keys of liberation. That's a hard thing to give a notion to, but the world has chains on them. You have the key to give to unlock their chains. Picture this as your mindset. There are things in this world that will put you down and it will walk you away from being able to achieve or receive the benefits that God has for them. And the reason is not because God is a jailer. No, the reason is because they put themselves in jail to begin with. And what's happening is we are seeing a world, not just the world out there, but we're seeing churches that are living in states of bondage because they're not stepping into the promise that the Lord has given to them. I love what you said, Pastor. Most of the problems of this world is not because that they are winning. It's because we are giving up our responsibilities as a church. That's a hard pill to swallow. But I believe, as, even as a young man, I trust me when I tell you this, my generation is horrible. We're one of the reasons why the world has come into this place to begin with. I'm close to my 30s, and we are pushing us to a place that this nation doesn't need to be. I blame my generation. I bet you bottom dollar I do. But we cannot take away the responsibility that we have as a church that we let down what we needed to do. It was the church that took us to the new world. It was the church that overcame all the illnesses of the black plague. It was the church that changed the world. So why is the church laying down now? And what I want to simply say is this. If you have the power and the ability to make someone free by introducing them to the Lord, then why are you hiding away from people who need it the most? See, they are not your enemy, church. They're the ones you're supposed to be ministering to. I'm not trying to preach a correction message. I'm preaching an idea message that says simply this. We have a job to do. This world is going to hell in a handbasket, and the only way to cure hell is to introduce heaven. So what if I tell you that you are the idea to introduce heaven into this world? Because what they need is not a door closed in their face. What they need is a door open with open arms. Guys, I have a lot of family members who are living in sin with no salvation anywhere near them. But what, I, what, what if I told you that salvation is just a phone call away? What if I told you salvation is just a day spent with them away? See, I've, I thank the Lord for this. I've questioned the Lord a lot of times. Why have I never seen no one saved underneath my message? But then I go out there and I minister to people at a work site. I minister to people in my family. And I've saw multiple people give their lives to the Lord. I thank the Lord that he used me in that way. That I don't see it here, but I see it out there. Because if you really think about it, true ministry is not really what happens in here. It's outside the walls. He said, go to the highways, to the hedges, and compel them to come. Come on, somebody. True ministry is not between these four walls. It is what you take out of these four walls to the lost and dying world. Christ only went to the temple two times in his life. One time when he was a child, and the other time was when he would start to flip tables. What does that should tell you? All I'm trying to tell you is simply this. What happens here? is where the Lord is preparing us to go out there. We come in here to get loaded up, prepared, and ready for whatever happens out there. So even though the pastor preached against correction about feeding these restaurants, if you do go to a restaurant this morning, be nice to your waitress. If you go to a bank, be nice to the teller. Demonstrate a life of Christ that they've never seen before. Demonstrate a life that they've never seen before. Because in reality, those who are lost and in sin don't know they're dying and in bondage. Only until afterwards do they fully see how much bonded they really are. And I'm speaking that from a personal experience. I was saved at the age of 17 years old. It wasn't until after I got saved that I realized how bad off I really was. And sometimes it takes somebody... To really do something in your life for you to see how much you've really missed out on. And I thank the Lord that he introduced himself to me one day. I was sweaty on a Wednesday night. 
Coming to church only because my girlfriend and my friends were at church. I just got done from football practice. I had some horrible sweaty clothes and some flip-flops on. But yet on that day, he still chose to save my soul. And because of it, he saved my soul. He has revealed to me what everything he took me away from. Who's thankful for everything the Lord has kept from your life? See, I've heard a minister say this before. I'm thankful for the times that I know he's done a thing. But how much more should I be thankful for the times where I didn't see it happen? Can can I get an amen in this house? See, I believe we only see a fraction of what the Lord is really doing. Because if we really see everything he's doing to prevent things from happening to his children, we will be praising him ever more often. Because I believe we only see a fraction. Because what if this morning things could have been different for your life? And you don't know it because he kept you from seeing it. But yet he brought you here this morning. What if I told you things could be different and you didn't know it? And the reason why you don't know is because he did it behind the scenes. I'm thankful for the behind the scenes miracle. I'm thankful for the hand operating behind the curtain. I'm thankful for God moving in ways that are the obscene ways and the unseen ways. I'm thankful that God chose to bless us every single day. He just didn't bless you seven years ago when you have your testimony. He just didn't bless you when you got saved. It is an everyday occurrence. His mercies are renewed every morning. Every morning. In the context of the story, the children of Israel are currently at the boundaries of the wilderness. At their feet is the River Jordan. He was getting on my message. You got to be careful there, Pastor. At the River Jordan. And for some reason, throughout all this time in the wilderness, they never crossed the Jordan. I believe it's because God was waiting for the correct time to tell them to cross. Listen to me when I tell you this. How many knows that they were in the wilderness for far too long than what they needed to be? And the only reason why they were in the wilderness for that long a time is because of themselves, not because of God. Sometimes we blame God for what's happening in our lives. Sometimes we blame the devil for what's happening in our life. In reality, it's not one or the other. It's the person standing in the mirror. What if I told you most of your issues is not because of a guy with a pitchfork or because of a mean father, but it's because you yourself are putting yourselves in positions to put, come on somebody, you are doing most of this stuff to yourself. So stop blaming a man who can't be omnipresent and stop blaming the omnipresent man who says all good things come from me. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, He's yeah. telling you this morning, why are you blaming this on me? I'm all good. That's true. Amen. I'm all good. Something to think about. Yes. See, we blame the devil for what's happening, but the Bible says only one person is omnipresent. The Bible says he has to wander and walk wherever he goes. So how can he be hurting Miss Tammy in Sunday morning over in Tennessee, but also hurting somebody over in China this morning? Think about that for a second. But what he does do, what the enemy does do is lie. He lies. He will create a message. See, what he wants is for you to blame him. Because you're giving him all the power when you do that. What he wants is for you to say that it's all him. Because once you put the blame on him, you're not taking responsibility but upon yourself. Somebody help me. So what's happening in the wilderness was that there was a generation that rose up and said, you know what, I think we was better off living in Egypt. There was a lot of people always going to Moses back and forth, back and forth, saying we was better off back in the place of bondage. Why are we doing here in the wilderness? You told us, Moses, that there was a promised land. We don't see the promised land. So why are we doing here? Let's go back to Egypt. At least they have food. At least they have shelter. At least they have places. The reason why they wanted to go back to Egypt, because they were comfortable to go back to Egypt. But the Lord is not interested in your comfort. He's interested in your obedience. The Lord doesn't want to put you somewhere where you have a pillow on your head. He wants to put you somewhere where you can go to work. We always tell you, we use a verse, oh, he gives you rest. He gives you rest so you can wake up the next day to go back to work. I remember a time when I was a youth pastor. We went to, uh, we went to uh, Gautenberg, and I, we, knowing teenagers, you guys can know what I'm talking about. We, I, I couldn't go to sleep. We had a cabin and everything, but I had to go to work. 
So what I did was I stayed up all night with them. Mary, my mom, had to force me to try to take at least a couple hours of sleep. And that couple hours afterwards, I got up, I drove from Gallenberg all the way to my work on Clinton Highway. And you know what? Not one day did I give up. Not one day that I needed more than what he didn't give to me. Not one day that I wanted to say, Lord, why am I doing this? Because when you operate in the Lord's obedience, it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter how weak you are. It doesn't matter how tired you are. When you follow in the Lord's obedience, it doesn't even matter where you're at. They were in the wilderness. What if I told you that when you're with the Lord, you can even be in the fire and still choose to stay in? When you're, even, when you're with the Lord, you can even be in chains and still choose to worship him in chains. Because if you're with the Lord, it doesn't matter where you're at or what's going on around you. He gives you the power, strength, and the confidence to say, it doesn't matter. I I'm still delivered. It doesn't matter. I'm still blessed. It doesn't matter. I still got the benefit. It doesn't matter. I still live in the promise. See, how were they complaining when every day was a miracle? Every day they woke up, they have a pot of manna at their feet. I don't know about you guys, but if the Lord put a pot of manna at my front door every morning, I'll have no reason to try to find another way to bless to praise his name. But yet, even through the miracles, they still complain. Even through the promises, they still complain. Because that's our nature. That's our nature. My, my best friend, we've been having these discussions. He says, it blows my mind that a lot of the people in Scripture can be witnesses to miracles and still not believe in the power of God. And it blows my mind to think about it. But if I really think about it, how many miracles do I miss in a day? How many times do I miss what God is doing? And I still find ways to complain to God. How long have I been going? About two minutes now? We're good. It is not the miracles that produces faith. Focus with me for a second. It is not what God can do for you today that produces faith. It is about what he's already done in the gospel that is produced from what he's already done. The Bible says in scripture that faith comes by hearing and hearing not about the miracles, but about the word of God. I can, I can perform miracles in front of you all you want to, but that will not produce any as of faith. What produces faith is when you hear about the gospel being preached and what Christ has done and perfected and offered to you today. Come on, somebody. The gospel is not only about what he did back then, but it's also about what he's established for us today. And not only about what he's established for us today, but it's about that faithful promise that is still yet to come. The Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, and evermore. So I'm grateful that a God who gave himself to be a man died on the cross, I can still feel him today. And I'm thankful that I'm going to see that man on the cross in the future. Come on, somebody. So the same God who operated in the, in the wilderness that back then is the same God who can operate in your wilderness today. So can you believe for me for a minute that what he did back then he can do for you today? See, what I'm going to talk to you is not about just them. I want to talk about you. I want to talk about me. Because they may be in the wilderness, a physical one, but you best believe that we are in spiritual wildernesses today. Yeah, right. We sure are. And the only reason why we're taking so long to get out is not because of the enemy. It's not because of God. It's because of ourselves. Because we're not willing to step into what God has offered, it, offered us. And that was the issue to them. God offered them the promise. It just had to take 12 days to get there. And because of their disobedience, it took 40 years. Plus. And the reason why it took that long, because God was waiting for something to pass. Yeah. The scripture tells us I need some water. The scripture tells us, it's going to be a hard one to swallow right here, that God waited for a generation to go away, for him to raise up a new generation to cross over. That is a hard one to put, take in because that means something must die in order for something to experience what true life is all about. It should not have been a surprise to us to hear this because it, had, it, take the death, it took the death of a lamb to get him out of Egypt. 
And if it would take the death of a lamb to get him out of Egypt and this wilderness, it took the death of an older generation to get them into the promised land. What got you into your promised land was the death of a lamb. But what's going to take to get you to where you need to be in this life is the death of an older generation. I'm talking about the old you. The old you must pass away for the new you to arise. The Bible calls it the old man. Let the old man die this morning, church. Stop trying to dig up back his bones to bring him back to try to ask him where we need to go. The old man needs to go for the new man to live. And living is not, help me here, somebody, living is not a quantity amount of times. It's a quality amount of times. I'm, I'm here to tell you, church, true life is not how long you can live, but what you can do every single day. And what Christ has offered is not just a quantity amount of life. He offered a quality amount of life as well. Because I'm here to tell you, the best life to live is not the life that this world can give you. It is the life that you can live in Christ and Jesus. Moses was loved by everybody. He was their leader. They looked forward to him. They looked at him. But everyone else passed away, and there was still one more person left of that older generation that needed to go. And you best believe that Joshua did not want him to go. The Bible says that Joshua was his minister. That doesn't mean he was his pastor. That doesn't mean he was his preacher. That means that he was his servant. Where do we get off that the pastor and preacher should be the number one guy when really they should be the ones serving everybody else? I'm not preaching to you guys. I know you guys have it. But what I'm trying to say is simply this. We live in a world where we put this man on a pedestal, but in reality, this man is like Christ. He puts himself beneath us to wash our feet. He's a servant to the people. But yet we have churches today that put them on such a high pedestal that they're basically kings of their own land. But beware of any pastor or minister that makes themselves kings because there's only one king. Beware of any pastors, preachers, evangelists, or whatever that puts themselves so far above you because in reality, the first shall be last and the last shall receive a crown. It is the most humblest person that should receive the eternal weight of glory upon their life. All I'm trying to say is simply this. Moses had to go. So Joshua can arise. We're at three minutes now. We're doing pretty good. The thing about Joshua was, why was he chosen to go into it? Because Joshua was still a part of the older generation. He was one of two guys that were left of the older generation. And the reason why is because of the good report. In the story of Exodus, which is more than just the book of Exodus. The story of Exodus is from Exodus, from Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of them cover the events of Exodus. But there was a time in the book of Numbers where Moses sent 12 spies to spy the land, to go into the promised land to see what they have in there to have. And when they went into the promised land, they all came back. Ten of them gave a bad report saying, yeah, this land has everything we ever need. It's flowing with milk and honey. It has all of the providence, but there's no way we can get it because the people there are like giants, and we are like grasshoppers before them. And here's the thing about that. When Joshua and Caleb came to give their report, they didn't have a different report. They still said, yeah, there's giants. Yeah, there's, there's, there's milk, there's honey. There's all this opposition, but they said this one thing. But it's good, and the Lord says it's ours. Be careful of what you say. Because what you say can be what produces the benefit for your life. Because of the bad report of the ten, a lot of them could not make it into the promised land. But because of the good report of the two, they were able to step in and take everyone else with them into the promised land. It is just as much powerful as what you speak as what you read. Pay attention to me for a second. They didn't change the report. The report was still the same. The only thing that was different was their perspective of what they saw. So I don't know about you, church. There may be giants where I need to go. But if there's giants in the land, that means there's giant food. If there's giants in the land, that means there's giant houses for me to live in. If there's giants in the land, that means there's giant resources for me to take up. 
If there's giants in the lands, that means there's enough for me to have when I go in there. Because what feeds a giant for a day can feed someone like me for the rest of my life. So there may be opposition against where you need to go, but don't be afraid of the opposition. Look at the opposition as another opportunity to say, you know what, the bigger you are, the better I'm going to be off. The worse you are, the better off I'm going to be. Because if you are as big as what they say you are, that means what you have is going to sustain not just me, but my whole entire family. The Bible says that they had great bushels in the land, so big that it took two men to carry them. I'm grateful that he has enough blessings for me, not just for me to carry, but for my loved ones to help me carry as well. Because when the Lord blesses you, he just doesn't do it for you. He does it for everyone else around you. The Bible says there's an overflowing. The Bible says there's an over. He fills up your cup and it overflows. And I'm thankful that the Lord, when he blesses people, that it overflows and affects everyone else. But their fear of the opposition kept them out of the promise. Don't be afraid of what God is doing in your life. You may look at this world and be afraid of what's happening. But I believe through faith that the worse it gets out there, the better off we're going to be. Can I get an amen in this house? I'm not afraid of what's going on out there because that gives me confidence that there's going to be better things to come tomorrow. I'm not afraid of what's happening in this world because I know if they keep going in the route that they're going, good things are coming down the road. Because I'm not afraid. We should not be afraid of bad days. It is in the bad days that we, God can get the most glory. And if God gets the most glory, what do you think he's going to do with his glory? He's going to dispense it upon his people. The Bible says when they were in the wilderness and they built the tabernacle, when his glory came down, it just didn't fill the tabernacle. It affected and it overfilled the whole entire camp. I'm thankful that when God gets the glory, it benefits the people. Benefits the people. But the issue is, we only have a fraction of people today that are living in the idealistic promises that the Lord's given them. There's, I believe in my heart, there's still a lot of people in the church world that are still lost in the wilderness. I believe so too. And the only reason why I believe that is because they're letting things of the promise scare them from stepping into it. And they're letting the comfort of the bondage try to pull them back. I believe most believers are still in this wilderness. I'm thankful that most believers are bound free. Amen? In fact, the Bible says who he set free is free indeed. He's the one that set the captive free, church. But just because your chains come off doesn't mean you're out of the prison. Paul and Silas, when they were walked inside the prison, they had chains all around them. The chains came off, but were they out of the prison yet? It wasn't until the prison walls fell down until they were able to step outside of the prison. See, here's what happens when you step into your promise. That your ones who held you captive, like the Roman guards did to Paul and Silas, you have the ability then to take what the Lord has put inside of you to go to their house and to bless their entire family. And here's here's how you do it. You don't take the Bible and you beat them across the face with it. You demonstrate what Christ demonstrated. Love. And when they ask you what makes you so different, when they ask you how do you have this much love, when they look at you and tell you why, how can you do this for me when I'm a nobody, you could turn around and say because someone did it for me when I was at my lowest. See, stepping into your promise is the idea of not only am I free, but now I have the ability to help others become free. Because what the Lord does is not just for you, but it's for you to take it for others as well. The issue is, help me hear Father with this one. The promised land is not just only heaven for us, church. I want to hang with me for a moment. I believe in the great promised land to come. I believe there will be a day where we will leave this wilderness of this world and step into the brand new world to come, which is the great promised land of heaven. But what 
this problem, what the true promised land is, is not a physical destination. It is a spiritual revelation of what you can step into today. If we are to believe that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, how much then should the children of God be able to say, yeah, but we're going to make it heaven on earth? Because when you start to abandon your responsibilities, that means you're letting things die. And I'm telling you, church, we have to start taking up who we are in this world, stepping into it, and building a brand new world. Not just for ourselves, but for the next generation to come. We was having a holiday dinner at at, uh, my family's place. And all my family was sitting together. And I was watching my family laugh. We was having a good time. We was enjoying everything in life. And I don't remember who I told her. I think it was my wife. I told her, I was like, this is heaven. When I could sit down with my loved ones, seeing the smiles on their face, experiencing the love that we share, the only difference is, the only difference that separates that heaven from that heaven is that the Lord isn't there. But then something clicks in my mind. He is there. He is there. The Bible says that you are no longer living as yourself, but now he lives in you. And I believe in the Trinity. Amen? I believe that one is three and three is one. And if you are to believe that the Holy Ghost is inside of you, who does that mean is with you right now? Our Heavenly Father. Father, Amen? So heaven is not just two miles south of Mars. It is right here. And what we need to see here is that we don't need to go over to Jerusalem to find the promised land. The promised land can happen right here. Give me my last scripture, if you don't mind. I'm jumping a couple of my notes, but I believe I'm following the spirit of the Lord this morning. I want to demonstrate and show you something. Hopefully, it gives you guys comfort. Thank you for my scripture. I want to ask a question. You don't have to answer this. What exactly is the promised land? It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Amen? In fact, most times in scriptures, that's how it is defined, is a land flowing with milk and honey. But I read in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says that the word of God is like a sincere milk. Yeah. All right? I also read in Psalms 119, verses, uh, Psalms 119 verse 103 that his word is sweet as honey. So in two different places, we see that the word is compared as milk and it has honey. So my question to you is this. Who is the word? Who's the word of God? The Bible says in First John, chapter, not First John, but John chapter 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all the way in verse 14, it says, And the Word took upon flesh and dwelt among us. I want to stretch you a little bit thin here for a second, but pay to focus on me. Joshua's Hebrew name is not Joshua. It's Yeshua. Jesus' Hebrew name is not Jesus. It's Yeshua. They both share the same Hebrew name. Moses couldn't get them into the promised land, but Yeshua could. <sighs> Traditional religion cannot get you into the promised land, but Yeshua can. See, the greatest bondage that holds churches down, I'm getting excited right here for a second. The greatest bondage that holds churches down is not what this world is doing to them. It is what the religion is doing to them, holding them down and saying, you better not speak. It's not your turn to speak. A system of religion that's telling him, you better not move because we have already a planned schedule for people to move. Religion has killed more people than what this world can do. You don't believe me? Study the Holy Crusades and come back to me and talk to me about what religion can do. Religion stops the move of God in its tracks. In fact, Christ came for two things. Christ came to be able to set up a salvation to get his people into heaven. Amen? But he also came to change a system. 
because there was a religious system that was bounding people down. Christ came and said, no, not no more. There was to be no more of this happening inside my household. I'm going to turn these tables and flip them around because what I'm going to do is different than what the Pharisees and the Sadducees are doing in this world. Because what's, because the bait, help me hear somebody. Because in the scriptures, I believe it's in John chapter 6, when he says the enemy come to steal, kill, and destroy, we, I believe that is talking about the devil. But in context, he's talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In the context of that scripture, he's saying the enemy that I'm telling you still kills and destroy is the enemy of religion. But there's a difference between religion and relationship. Yes, they are. And I believe that we need to come together as people of God to not just preach religion anymore, but to preach relationship with Christ. Because when you step away from duty and step into grace, that's where you find true, help me hear somebody, that's where you find true happiness. That's where you find true peace. That's where you find true joy. It's not, it's not a laundry list of things to do, but it is the one that you can serve happy with every time. We see that in the story of Martha and Mary. As Martha was cooking up a massive meal, trying to serve and, and try to do the best she can of her due diligence of what women were supposed to do, we see Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha came complaining to Jesus about Mary. Why ain't she doing what she's supposed to do? We know that women are here. And he was like, don't you dare come to me with the talks of what we're supposed to do. Because what Mary found is far more greater. I would rather be in a church in a shack with no AC, but everybody is founded at the feet of Jesus than be in a mega church with the greatest of speakers and the greatest of worshipers that are just trying to fill up a bucket list of things to do before they die. I would rather be in a backwoods creek church somewhere with people who know what relationship is than be down in in Hollywood or be down in Texas trying to experience these churches with over 40,000 people in them. I'm telling you, church, it's not about what you can do, but it's about living with the one who did it all for you. If it is about what we can do, we wouldn't need Jesus. Because if you can do it yourself, why did he came? The issue is Moses tried to do it himself. Look what happened to him. That's why Moses had to pass away. Because what he tried to do was what it was called a work was called a works-based faith. But it is not a works-based faith, church. It is a grace-based faith. Amen. Yes. It's because you can do everything right your entire life. But the one time you messed up on your deathbed, that cost you everything. But I'm thankful for Christ. That he did everything right, not just for himself, but for you. Think, picture, this, picture this symbol for a second. When Christ was on the cross, we read in Scripture that God turned his head away from Jesus. Come here, Sam Pastor. Thank you. I, come here. Can you be my Jesus on the cross? Can you be your Jesus on the cross? Straight up your hands. You're the God the Father. Look at your son. Now, look at me. When, create, when Christ was on the cross, church, he didn't just die on the cross as himself. In fact, the Bible says that he took our sins upon himself and died as us. He did not look away from Christ because he was ashamed of what he saw. No, come here. He looked at Christ because he saw a man who became my sin. And he turned around to to look at me, Pastor. He turned around to see a man who was living in sin who is now looking like Jesus. Come on, somebody. It's not about... Uh, he was not ashamed of his son, no. but he was looking back at us to say, I am proud of who you became. Yeah, that's right. He yeah. is not turning away from him. He's turning away from the sin that was upon him right. because what was upon him was nothing of what Christ did, but it was everything that we do. Yeah. And when he looked at all the sin, he can now look at his faithful children and say, because the son of God became son of man, now the son of men can become sons of God. Amen. Come on, somebody. Give some praise in this house. Thank you, guys. So what Moses couldn't do, which was cross the Jordan, Yeshua came in the form of a man who went down to the Jordan River one day to get baptized by John the Baptist. This is a different story than what you read. No, it's not. It's the same story. Because what Yeshua did back then was he crossed the river with 12 patriarchs carrying stones. But what Jesus came and he went down to the Jordan to get baptized, when he came out of the Jordan River, he went to go get 12 patriarchs who carried 12 stones. Amen? If you remember the story of Jesus, when he got baptized, that's when he went out looking for his disciples. 
It's the same reflection, church. The same reflection. And when they got out of the Jordan River, they had their 12 stones. They set, upon, they set those 12 stones upon an altar. I'm grateful for the rock that we have this morning. Then they stepped into the promised land. Was it easy? No. A lot of times they faced a lot of trials. But those trials doesn't mean you're not in them. Your hardships, your trials, your oppositions does not mean you're not in the promise. Because the first obstacle they had when he went to the promised land was what? It was the walls of Jericho. But they now had to fight a single fight. In fact, the people of Jericho said, we were scared of you guys. Later on in history, we discovered that they were in the promised land. But because of disobedience, the Babylonian Empire came and it removed them from the promised land. Be careful when your promise becomes a bondage. As long as you stay in faith and obedience, as long as you stay on that path that Christ has set before you, not the church, not religion, but what Jesus has set before you. True church is always following Jesus, amen? True church is always following Jesus. And as long as they followed him, they never had to face another whip. They never had to face another chain. And even if they did, it did not stop them from praising and worshiping God. I want to, I'm going to, the last thing I want to ask you before I get done is this. Even if you go through the fire, do you believe the fourth man will be with you in that fire? Even when you get faced with being stoned to death like Stephen, are you still going to stand and look upon the sky and see the Lord with you? Even if you face chains and prosecution and eradication, would you still stand boldly and say, praise be to God for everything he's done for us? A promised land is not a piece of real estate, but it is a life to live and a person who came to fulfill the promise. Jesus is the promised land. And Jesus says, not only are you going there one day, but I'm bringing there to here today. I'm thankful for that. Thank you, guys. Go ahead, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. That was good stuff.